Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Equestrian Hub podcast. Today's guest, we've got Victoria Montano, personal stylist, owner of Sportlux and recent housewife of Sydney. Not to mention, she did just win the amateur championships at the Australian Nationals at Sayak a couple of weeks ago. So, very exciting, budding show jumping career. Another guest that, you know, has a slightly different journey to the rest of us. Um, you know, I think a lot of you are going to enjoy this, you know, and get to know a side of Victoria that, you know, you wouldn't get to see if you watch Real Housewives of Sydney or if... You know, you just see her out at the show. So listen in. There's a few dodgy spots on the um, recording just because it was a real struggle for us to line up our calendars. So just bear with it and enjoy. Welcome, Victoria. Thanks so much for coming on. How are you? Thank you, Charlie. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very well. Very excited to be here. Oh, I know. Uh, we're both we're both busy. It's been hard work nailing this conversation down into the schedule we're both sitting Literally, in cars at the moment I'm, yeah both sitting in our cars but we're making it happen that's right and uh so you've just been out at your coach's property having a couple lessons tell us a little bit about how those lessons went and what you're working on yeah um so i train with sarah duggan and james patterson robertson at jpr equestrian in pit town my two horses also are just there. I've got a gelding called Malcolm and a mare called Clara. Um, basically, I'm just trying to, at the moment, work on just being more quiet, more gentle. I'm just trying to do as little as possible with leg, which is really hard. <laughs> It is hard, and, and you're quite um you're quite an enthusiastic rider, you could say. I'm. I don't know. It's enthusiastic. You're so eloquent and high. How you um how you pick that word? I am definitely enthusiastic, but you know it's just so hard not to interfere with the horse as you're coming up towards a jump. Like every part of your body, every cell in your body is telling you to do something and you know keeping my hands still and doing nothing is just proven to be very difficult for me yeah i love uh, i love just pulling more than i should into the into the base and um the horses yeah. hate it the hard habit to get out of it's it's just such a hard habit to get out of my gelding his heart is pure like totally pure so he rips me over the fence no matter how much I'm pulling him because he is a saint and my mare tells me to get lost and stops. <laughs> <laughs> makes, you, makes you pay even more attention when you've got two completely different horses. And, I, you know, you haven't been riding for nearly as long as, as me, so at least you've got some excuses. Am I right in saying you've only been jumping for about two years now? Yeah, so I had my first lesson like in 2020 um, in about, I think it was about the 1st of May. I went to, you know, Centennial Park as all the city slickers do. And I, um, they said, what are your goals? And I said, well, 
I want to become a show jumper. They said, what's your experience levels? You know, have you, have you ridden over 30 times? Now, I'm 40 years old, so I'd certainly done two trail rides a year since I was seven. I did the maths. I was like, yeah, I've ridden 30 times. Like, okay, you're advanced then. You're advanced. I'm like, yeah, I'm advanced. I'm, I'm advanced. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and proceeded to go into the arena and they said, do you know what a trot diagonal is? I said, no. They said, have you ever done any work on a circle? I said, no. They said, well, we better go and change your horse then because you're oh. not advanced. <laughs> <laughs> So you didn't you didn't grow up horsey by the sound of things. Where did you grow up, and um, what what was what were you busy with when you were a kid when you weren't riding horses? Yeah, I grew up on the north shore of Sydney. I had sort of a a bit of an interesting upbringing in that my parents are both migrants, but my father had this vision of becoming posh, waspy Australians, ASAP, losing accents. He was reading the dictionary to, you know, improve his English. We moved to one of the waspiest suburbs in all of Sydney. I think we were the only family that had brown hair and statues in our garden. So I I lived a sort of, it was definitely a privileged life, but it was a very European life as well. We were definitely brought up as Italians Um, and my sporting focus when I was growing up was always running and I was quite a competitive rower actually a rower you learn something every day yeah and then my love my my passion um is skiing that's you know before there was horses there was skiing yes there's I find a lot of equestrians have an affinity with skiing it's something especially jumping and event riders and it must be something to do with you know going at at speed it's a hundred percent linked to adrenaline and when I started show jumping I said to my husband because obviously living in Australia it's you know we don't get to ski a lot I said, it's the same feeling as skiing, but I get to do it, you know, three times a week. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a lot more accessible uh, from the east. And so when you went on these trail rides when you were younger, you know, did did it start you thinking more about horses or did you just, you enjoyed it at the time, but it didn't? I, I loved, I loved horses. And, you know, I think had I... I didn't have the opportunity to even think about, I didn't know there was such a thing as dressage and show jumping, to be honest. I had no idea. I thought horse riding was trail riding. And, you know, as I said, I, my parents were migrants, you know, from Italy and Greece, like show jumping and dressage was not, it just wasn't on the agenda. They gave us absolutely everything. And as I said, we were privileged, you know, we're skiing, great schools, but they didn't even know about, you know, show jumping and dressage. And all I really had was, you know, the biggest collection of My Little Ponies in my whole junior school, 289. (laughs) And, you know, yeah, 289 at the biggest collection, like my pride and joy. And, you know, my favourite movie and my favourite book was Black Beauty. But that was about as far as, you know, horses went for me. And so uh, graduating from high school, 
you know, where did you go from there? Were your family, were your parents, you know, obviously they'd worked very hard, you know, to get where they were and were they sort of pushing you into a serious career or did you have other ideas? Look, I, my personality is a little bit tricky because I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. That's just sums me up perfectly. Um, I didn't, my father wanted me to do accounting I certainly didn't want to do accounting. The most popular TV show at the time was Sex and the City and Samantha Jones did public relations, which looked so cool. So I decided to base my whole university degree on a television show and did public relations, media and communications. Um, So that is what I did for university. And I tried to stick with that I ended up moving to London getting a job there I was headhunted from London and sent to Hong Kong to do events for Deutsche Bank HSBC and JP Morgan all their IPOs for their you know property clients and then I was headhunted again to go and work helping a startup in China just before the Olympics I'm I'm a lot older than you, Charlie. Just before the Olympics, um, I was 22 at this stage. Uh, So now I was living in China and Shanghai and um, I was pitching Olympic sponsorship to, you know, all the blue chip clients and I I pitched to um, BMW China and the commission on this sponsorship was a million US dollars. And they called me back for the meeting. And I thought, shit, I'm about to become a millionaire. Like, I cannot believe this is going to happen to me. Um, and I did the whole pitch all over again for the whole team. I'd already decided what I was going to buy with my million dollars. And they said, look, thank you for doing your presentation, but we're not going to buy the sponsorship. But we wanted to offer you a job as, you know, director of our events team. Um, so I didn't get the million dollars, but I ended up with a pretty swish job in Shanghai. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I can't say that it's been boring. It sounds like you've worked in lots of places all over the world. Any places in particular that you enjoyed working in more than others? I mean, working in China, mainland China, mainland China before the Olympics was truly unbelievable like it's very different now there's you know westerners are a dime a dozen but I I was you know 21 when I arrived and 23 when I left and you know I was the only western girl at my company so I was such a anomaly and I get into the lift to go up to work and people would come up and just touch my hair like they just wanted to feel the texture of my hair because it was something that they'd never ever seen before touching my nose like because I've got a pointy Roman nose, you know. So I just had the most incredible experience in China. And I feel blessed because I'm that doesn't exist anymore. China's an international country now, you know, and I really got to see it at, at the cusp before it made its transition. So I feel very lucky for that. I know exactly what you mean. I was in China in 2002 um early early april 2002 so i was 10 at the time um and yeah i had blondish hair 
and yeah, people randoms would just come up and touch my hair. Touch, yeah, yeah. And curly, your hair's curly too. It was it was a curly and blonde, and families would come up and ask for me to be in photos with their children or for my autograph, and I was just this little like awkward kid from Penrith. It was just so weird. It's so it's so true that that's spot on. It's actually spot on. That was my experience too. So very cool. Mm, no, it was thoroughly enjoyable, and I did love I did love trying like for such a long time ago. It's such vivid memories of the food and the the tea and the people uh, who are, I found lovely there. So cool. Um, and so how long how long were you working for BMW China then? And you know, tell us a little so, bit about that transition. Okay. So I stayed there for almost two years and then I got a call from my father and he said something strange is happening with the business, with the family business. You know, I can't explain it on the balance sheets, blah, blah, blah. Can you come back and help us? And I I was 24 actually by now. Um, And I God, I'll never leave China because, you know, I arrived when I was 21, housekeeper, driver, translator, US dollar salary, you know, you get into that expat lifestyle, it's quite hard to leave because you can't really emulate the money when you get back to Australia. So I thought, okay, if I don't leave now, I'm probably never going to leave. And I arrived after speaking to dad and his concerns and it ended up being the beginning of the GFC. I don't know if you were old enough to remember that, Charlie. Um, so I, I left Asia where I was flying high. I arrived back to take over part of my family business and I started working in, you know, the most horrific financial time you could ever have imagined so the years following was just me hiring firing trying to figure out how to make money how to figure out how to manage people how it was it was really such a tricky time and the ripe old age of 24 you know I was managing a team of 21 sales agents I was the director of marketing plus it's my family business okay so you're heavily invested in wanting to make it work because, you know, it's your mum and your dad at the end of the day. So the transition from China was a really rude awakening. I'm not going to say they were the most fun years of my life, but whatever doesn't, you know, break you makes you stronger. And um, in hindsight, and I know it's probably what everyone would say, but I really became the woman I am today because of those years and I can work like no one could imagine I'm such a hard worker you know when I need to be and I think it's you know because of those years yeah it's it's interesting how you you talk about yeah how much extra effort you put in in regards to being a family business you know I know having worked for my mother and father you know you do you know, you might give them a bit of attitude here and there, but if they're not around, you actually work a lot harder than the other employees, I find. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like I I didn't have, it was seven days a week, you know, um, and I just didn't put my phone down. And 
that was back in the days of Blackberries. There was no iPhone uh, yet, but you could actually do your emails at home and work from home. So, yeah, it was 24 hours, seven days a week, you know, during that family period for sure. And so you talk, your family are from Italy and, and Greece, and, you know, judging on, uh, you know, Instagram stories, food is a very big part of your life. And uh, it looks like there's a lot of influence uh, from the Mediterranean there. I'm guessing, did you did your parents teach you to cook? Where did you learn this? I know you said you're um, a jack of all trades and not a master, but that food looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah thank you. Um, look, I think that food is, it's a language actually. So you can either speak food or you can't speak food. It's not really something that you can learn to do I think like obviously you can learn to do it to a certain level don't get me wrong but um so how did I learn to cook look I think I was born understanding food but I've had incredible influences a Greek grandmother a you know a, a half Greek mother an Italian um nonna an Arabic grandfather, you know, so I've really been exposed to a lot of food from every single Mediterranean corner of the world, basically. And a lot of travel as a child too. My parents, um, my mother had businesses in Italy, so we would travel twice a year to Italy and then always go somewhere, you know, on the back end of that and the way that my parents travel is really just food tours of the country that we're in so I think that sort of sums up how I how I can cook um, and the thing about cooking is if you don't like it you won't do it you know and I love it so I I, I consider myself pretty lucky to be honest uh, it's certainly um nothing nothing beats a good home cooked home cooked meal does it no, I mean, my husband, um, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Well, is it fuck yeah, but, you know. I... Okay. My husband always says, you know, men are very simple creatures. You know, we just need to be fed and fucked. And he's always <laughs> like, I married, her because she, I married her because she's the best cook, you know. So he literally was the only reason that he married me, apparently, that I could cook. Well, I'm glad he didn't, that didn't elaborate anymore. Uh, than some <laughs> um, so well i hope uh, i hope one day you end up cooking up a feast at one of the horse shows or bringing bringing some leftovers out i won't say no to that i would love to i'll do that we just need to figure out i need some cooking facilities i could use we need to figure out who's got the fanciest truck yes yeah well um I find I find if you get a few trucks together, like in one small spot, then you can put together half a kitchen. Amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd love to do that. We'll just have a short break here, and we'll hear a word from our sponsors. While you're got, well, you guys are listening in. Victoria and I will um, keep on driving. APM Animal Health. Equine Services provides comprehensive equine care across our network of dedicated equine and mixed practice clinics. We offer a diverse range of services to meet the needs of horse owners and enthusiasts, from the family pony to racehorses, equine athletes and stud farms. Our knowledgeable team 
possess extensive experience in equine reproduction, surgery, foal and neonatal care, ambulatory and emergency services, advanced diagnostics and internal medicine. APM's dedicated purpose-built equine centres are located in New South Wales at Agnes Banks and Scone, in the Victorian towns of Bendigo, Gippsland and Warrnambool, and in Queensland at Bow Desert. In addition, our network of mixed practice clinics in Western Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania provide ambulatory care for horses via our passionate and experienced veterinary teams. Innovation is the cornerstone of our commitment to delivering first-class veterinary care, exemplified by initiatives such as our foal ambulance operating across Bendigo and surrounds. Collaboration across our network of equine clinics ensures that every client receives the best available treatment and advice. APM's vet teams share a wealth of knowledge and experience that drives optimum outcomes for our equine clients. APM Animal Health's purpose is to enrich the lives of animals, people and communities. We're committed to providing exceptional veterinary care in the regional communities our clinics are located. Find out more by visiting apm.com.au. Join us as we strive towards our vision of healthy animals and happy people. Well, we're back and I thought we'd just go a little bit more into how you went after that first horse riding in Centennial Park and where were your next steps from there into becoming the, you know, amateur champion of Australia? (laughs) Um, So I basically went to every riding instructor in Sydney and I told them I'm a show jumper and they all told me that I had to have lessons for two years before I was allowed to jump and then... I was probably only going, you know, to Centennial Park or down to Southeast Equestrian in Malabar, say, every second week, you know, so I'm taking it seriously. I rocked up to Centennial Park on the 29th of July, 2020, and there was a teacher who I'd never had before. Her name was Stephanie Cass, and she said... Another enthusiastic writer. Yeah. She said, well, what are your goals? And I said, I want to become a show jumper, but no one will let me try a jump. And she went into the middle of the arena and she made a little cross rail and she said, all right, go jump. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So finally I found someone who let me try a jump and that was that. You know, obviously I didn't have a horse. Like I didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't really take it too seriously But Steph was letting me jump, you know, now once a week. I I up my lessons to once a week. And it was just sort of going along like that. And then in May, May 2021, she left Centennial Park to get a job at a place I didn't know about. It was called Rosswaith Farm in Mossvale. Um, And she was going to be a and a rider there so she said well why don't you just you only have one lesson a week anyway just come to Mosfell you know and and have the one lesson I thought it's not a bad idea and I arrived and my teacher for the day was a strapping young lad named James Arkins (laughs) and he put me on an amazing horse (laughs) an amazing horse called Ella who was actually Amelia Douglas's first show jumper. 
um, who's his school horse now. And I only jumped cross rails like one jump at a time. And he just said, kick the horse. And the horse carted me around a whole course of 60 centimetres. And I thought, holy shit, I'm never going to Centennial Park again. Like I've just found my home. You know, this is unbelievable. Um, so I, I just was having a lesson a week with, with James Arkins on this horse called Ella. And then lockdown number two happened. I don't know if you recall, it was the 23rd of June, 2021. And um, I said to my husband, I can't do this again. I got in the car, I packed the bags, packed my kids up. I drove down to Mossfell. I booked an Airbnb on the way, pretended that I wasn't coming from Sydney because we weren't allowed to leave Sydney. It was a hot spot. <laughs> And um, and I got there and I said to James Arkins, I'm going to buy a horse, buy me a horse. I said, I'll buy anything you say as long as it's black. <laughs> and he called me the next day and he said, I, I found a horse for you, but it's not black. And I said, what color is it? And he said, look, it's got spots on it. And he sent me this photo. I was a little bit reluctant, but, you know, the horse he was bling, bling de Rouet, and James convinced me to fly this horse over from New Zealand, which at the time, as you can imagine, jumping cross rails and 60-centimetre jumps <laughs> seemed very decadent to be flying an international show jumper from New Zealand. Um, but he arrived and he changed my whole world. Like, he changed everything about my life from from that point on that horse the combination of bling duraway and james arkins has taken me from being a complete city slicker to someone that now show jumps like four or five times a week my horses you know so it was probably in a weird way the most poignant moment of my life other than having kids mm. It's, um, it's, you know, lucky that you've, I guess, come across people like Steph, like I mentioned, she's quite a forward thinking, enthusiastic rider. And then, you know, she's introduced you to James, another forward thinking, you know, enthusiastic rider. And they're not, you know, they're, they're going to let you have a go. They're not going to make you do a pole on the ground for two years uh, before you have a jump. And then James also, you know, knows bling intimately having, you know, produced him up the levels you know, into a, into a top level horse. So I guess it's, you know, it wasn't just some random horse in New Zealand. It was something he knew very well. Would no, be suitable. No. I was so lucky because my learning style, as you say, like do a pole on the ground for two years, my learning style from my whole life is, you know, take me to the top of the mountain, push me down, see where I fall and let's start from there. You know, I'm not one of those people that needs to learn or wants to learn the intricate details from the bottom and build myself up. So I was just so fortunate to find James because if I had gone anywhere else, it just, it would not have been like that. Mm. Well, let's address the elephant in the room and tell us a little bit about your experience on Real Housewives of Sydney and, uh, you know, a little bit about how it's been impacting on your if it's been impacting upon your riding or not yeah no it definitely did 
uh, the first scene that I filmed for Housewives of Sydney was with my current coaches, JPR Equestrian, and that's the opening scene of my story, actually. And I was jumping both the horses on camera. Oh, my God, my heart was beating. I was making so many mistakes, like being filmed for a TV show and doing something. You are, I'm still learning myself, you know, it was... It was so nerve-wracking. Um, and I didn't really realise at that point that it was a bit, going to be the beginning of a pretty dark time for me because filming is two, three, sometimes four times a week. And all I wanted to do this year was to be competitive uh, in the amateur series at Oz Champs. So it really impacted my happiness to be honest like only being able to get out to the horses once or twice a week for four months um you know it was it was definitely a dark time for me and it's noted actually for for my life um everything has to fit other than the kids everything else has to fit in around the horses <laughs> and it seems like you do get along with um some people quite well on the show were you friends with any of them before the show and um from the one episode I've watched uh, or two. Uh, is it Chrissy Marsh and maybe Nicole? You seem to uh, gel. Yeah. Chris, Chrissy and Nicole um, are my, like, real-life friends, as in I see them, like, off the show. Um, I've known Terry for a very long time, and I used to spend a lot of time with Terry socially, probably up until about two years ago. But we definitely had a history and, you know, um, commonality and you know love and respect for each other over the years sally Obermita, i had met only once but she kind of moves in similar circles so i i knew who she was uh, and then caroline and kate were totally new to me i'd never seen them before and strangely the interesting thing is i've not seen them since you know i see terry you know, even though I don't speak to Terry every day, she's in my world, Sally's in my world, Kate and Caroline, you know, it's, they live in Bondi, I think, but you, you don't really cross over with them. Well, I don't oh, what in, a in my real life, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, I've got no qualms about Caroline. Caroline's a lovely lady. Very, very pleased that um, Kate doesn't venture into the global head of the world, which is right. Double Bay. The, the bubble. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's not a bubble, Charlie. It's the global headquarters of the World Double Bay. People just need I, to accept that and I move was, forward. I was at a party, in, uh, a New Year's Eve party in Vaucluse once, and someone um, someone asked where I was from, and like I'm from Penrith, but I was living in Liverpool at the time, and they said, where's that? And I said, mate, it's, it's west of the Anzac Bridge. I needed a visa just to get here. <laughs> You know, it's so it's so funny because um, I do have this like funny thing that happens to me because I do live, you know, in Darling Point, Double Bay, and that's my home. You know, everything I do is there. And then when I enter the cross city, so I'm day to day, I'm like quintessential eastern suburbs housewife. Like I always joke with my husband, I'm the housewife deluxe version you know i'm cooking for you the house 
looks good. I do my exercise. I wear the mini skirts, like, you know, quintessential on paper housewife. And then I get into the cross city tunnel to go out to my horses. And then I emerge. It's like a rebirth to the most down to earth, fearless, unhousewifey version of myself possible. So that's kind of like my little two worlds. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it takes. It sounds like you juggle a lot. You mentioned you did a lot of running when you were younger, and now I see also you have uh, what looks like a, a charity based running group, Body by Vic. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. yes. So I'm a. I do love running. Um, I love running. If I had time to run, you know, all day, I could happily run all day. And so I just. My charity is always linked to children, so I donate a lot of money to children's health. But my big passion is sexually abused and trafficked children, so I just try to couple the things that I love with things that are important to me. I find that's the only way that I can do things with with life generally. So I know that I'm going to run most days. So if I'm going to do that, you know, I'll raise some money while I'm doing that. So who wants to run with me? And it's always been like that. You know, if you want to run with me, you donate a little bit of money because I am running with you. I'll hold your pace for you. I'll coach you as we go because I've, you know, I've been running a long time. Um, and it was similar with Sport Lux with my business too. I love skiing. Um and writing. So I was like, well, I need to have a business that leans into that. So, you know, everything I do, I'm always trying to tie it in to with my like day-to-day life to make it easier to make sure that I can do it every day, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, being a, being a private stylist, you've probably helped a lot in your development of, of Sport Lux. I see quite a lot of uh, show jumping riders uh wearing that now and seems to be yeah i mean look it's going okay it's been a hard it's a hard market to crack because um in new south wales specifically uh, everyone seems to really like wearing exactly the same navy blue ct jacket i can't get my head around it cannot get my head around it but everyone likes to look the same so I have to say, it's been so hard to crack the competition market, really easy to crack the trading market. Everyone's, you know, open to having different stuff when they're training. But getting people not to wear a navy blue um, CT jacket in the ring has been one of the biggest challenges of my life, actually. Yeah, it's hard. It's either there's like one thing that everyone wants to wear or there's just 50 different brands that people want to wear um it's so it's so funny it's so like you you sometimes go into the warm-up ring and i'm looking around and you know there's five people warming up the other four girls all have the same jacket on like it's crazy it's actually crazy well for someone um like talking about myself uh that wears just the weirdest uh clothes in in day-to-day life i'll quite often like yeah i'm quite boring when it comes to show coats um yeah, my fashion sense could be called into question uh, at any time, though. That's for sure. But does it? Does your girlfriend dress you, or does she just leave you to your own yeah. devices? Uh, I'll sometimes ask her opinion on what I should wear, but I'll usually hold up um, two options, and you know, it's like the least bad option um, that. That's- <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I uh, I'm well known for my ill-fitting Hawaiian shirts and. 
I don't think um I I don't think I could have afford you to help redo my wardrobe. You'd be there a while. Yeah, I'm I'm I am also very expensive. What, um, but Tim, that? Tim has some advice <laughs> for me, does he? Well, I dress him every day, you know, and he's just so spoiled. And when I had my second child, I got a little bit too. So we started a like folder in his phone of you know all the photos so if we start if I styled him a good outfit I taught him how to take selfies in the mirror so he'd take a selfie of his outfit like classic you know girl on Instagram style and then we filed it in a folder on his camera so that on the days when I'm too busy to dress him he can just look through his folder and you know pick an outfit and dress himself so we really um you know we figured that one out quite well. <laughs> Much easier being a guy. You can sort of, you know, have about five or six different outfits for a whole year almost. But uh, I know, I know a lot of women that you know can't wear a dress if it's if they've had a dress go on Instagram, they can't wear that again. Yeah, I have to say it's really tricky um, because I have that kind of fear. Like, I don't worry about wearing the same thing twice, but. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I can't put that on Instagram again. But I've been working. That's one of the things I've been working on for 2023. And I'm not joking. Like, I literally, at the beginning of this year, I was like, that is an irrational fear. Hmm. You are allowed to post the same photo of the same outfit on Instagram. So I've been working on that this whole year, actually. No, that's a, that's a good point. And that that is not exclusive to the eastern suburbs, I can assure you. No, no, no. It's it's women. It's it's so like I can't explain the feeling that I feel, but I have got anxiety talking about it to you now. Like my heart is fluttering, um, and I don't know why we're like this with our clothes. But I don't know. I have no. It's there's obviously something scientific about it. Well, I guess um, that's you know the running will help with that. Um... <laughs> Speaking about anxiety, you know, for some, obviously you're used to adrenaline and going at speed, you know, downhill skiing, et cetera, or, you know, in business by the sound of things, how do you deal with anxiety or, or nerves at a, at a competition? You know, you know, you obviously you've got some uh, experienced horses um, and you're really getting to know them, uh, which helps, but yeah, have you got a process there or do you find um, some things work, some things don't? Uh, it cut out a bit there, Charlie. Could you say it again? Yeah, I was just saying, you know, how do you, speaking on anxiety, you know, or show jitters, how do you deal with that, you know, being a relatively greener rider? Have you found any things that help? Okay, you? so, uh, look, I have to say that this is definitely, for me, the number one issue that I have with my riding. I have got very, very bad show jitters. My head just starts screaming at me from the moment that I get into the warm-up and then screaming even louder in the ring. So I am yet to figure out how. I don't have any, um, I'm sorry, I have no, no intel to help anyone listening to this podcast. It has been an absolute disaster for me. And it's been tricky because... One of the things that I 
do is, you know, I'm a public speaker and speech writer, you know, MC. So I, I can... I speak sometimes to 3,000 plus people with not one butterfly in my stomach. I can say a speech off the cuff at any, any time of the day that someone needs me to. Uh, and I just don't know how to transfer those skills into the ring. Do you have any advice for me, Charlie? Uh, well, it definitely sounds like you need to keep, you know, just keep training a lot um a lot more you know being relatively green and new to the sport uh your your body is still adjusting to that feeling of being with the horse and going over the fences uh and because it triggers your amygdala in the the fear center of the brain and that's where that's where you're getting those jitters from so you know i know some people you know do a little bit of breath work or have little mantras i find you know, yeah, just taking a couple deep breaths and and just really focusing on a couple keywords, like let's say something I'm working on with my coach. Um, let's say it's land and balance after the fence. I'll just I'll just go land and balance, and yeah, try and take the focus away from, you know, all the external pressures of people watching, and because I've had, um, you know. You know, you notice it's it's impossible not to notice. You notice your husband watching, or you notice your coach watching. I think a lot of us put more pressure on ourselves when our coaches are watching. Um, I don't know about you. No, I'm totally fine with Sarah and James watching me. I cannot have Tim at my shows. It yeah. is an absolute disaster. I will, I fall off every time he if – I, if you've seen me fall off in the ring, it means that Tim was there, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I can't have him there. And it's just such – like it seems so ridiculous to me because – you know, I spend many hours a day on the phone to my girlfriends complaining about him and saying how I want to leave him. And then when he watches me at the show, I want to impress him. Like, it's just so, I have no idea what's actually going on there. But for some well, reason, I still care. <laughs> at least at least you've identified one of your triggers. So uh, I'll have to get yeah. a sports psychologist on the podcast and um, and we'll put a few questions to him. <laughs> Um, I mean, the only times that I that I have managed a little bit, I will say, is um, if I remember to do it, I think like floating in the Mediterranean, like you know that that's so salty, like it sort of holds you up. I don't know. Um, Thank you. That has worked for me occasionally. Okay, well, that, that has worked for me a little bit, but I, I also feel like it's a little bit to do for me with how my horse is feeling, like it dictates my nerves because I don't have a thousand tools in my toolbox, you know, like I, I've only got the hundred that I've been taught in the last two years. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So if Malcolm is, if Malcolm is like behind the leg, I fall to pieces because he is hot, right? So that when you see me get really nervous in the ring and make mistakes with Malcolm, um, it's because I've got into the warm-up and he's not the same Malcolm that I know how to ride, you know? So um, I feel like what you said is, is correct. Like 
jitters and competition nerves. Like once I've been in the ring a thousand times, I'm hoping they go away. Yeah, I think a uh, few deep breaths, not trying to block out all that external, the pressure you put on yourself, you know, and also just, yeah, getting, keep training with, with Sarah and, and James. Um, you know, the more, the more of that you can do, the more automatic you can make those reactions when the horse yeah, yeah. changes how it's feeling on the day. Um, that's certainly, yeah. that's certainly how most people fix things anyway. Um, well, I just wanted to touch briefly on uh, the the two horses you've got. You've got Malcolm, who's the gelding you found in Tasmania. Is yep. that right? Yeah, Malcolm um, is the love of my life. I don't know what I did for the 40 years before I got him. I have no idea. I found him in Tasmania. He's, you know, horse of the year in Tasmania, was sort of like the star down there. Um, and Sarah is Sarah Duggan of JPR Equestrian. I just don't think there's anyone who can pair a rider and a horse like Sarah. And I think it has something to do with, like, JPR, for example, he's such a great rider. Obviously, he's a dual Olympian, blah, blah, blah. But he can get on any horse and ride any horse. But Sarah Duggan is totally insane when it comes pairing rider and horse and finding an amazing partnership and for me i was a very inexperienced rider but extremely brave so we needed to find the bravest horse in australia and i think we certainly did find the bravest horse in australia and my riding style is very athletic it's sort of brute athleticism because i don't have the many years experience that everyone else has so we needed a horse that was very athletic and we certainly found that in Malcolm. Malcolm came from Tasmania. He was horse of the year in Tasmania. I think he was mini pre-champion in Tasmania and he was the speed champion of Tasmania. So I like to ride fast. So, you know, as soon as I heard that he was a speed champion, I was like, get me down to Tasmania ASAP. I'm trying that horse. Um, and we've just been like, we're just like soulmates. We've literally, I got him three days later. I jumped a meter 10 at jump club, two clear rounds. And that was kind of it. That was it. Uh, and some people, I hear people say, you've got to be patient. You know, it takes 12 months to get to know a horse. And I always think to myself, for you, it took me three days, you know. <laughs> How good. Yeah, that's awesome. And your uh, your mare has been, it's been a bit more of a slow burn with her? Yeah. I mean, look, she's still new to me. Like I have only had her for about 14 weeks. Um, she's definitely not forgiving like Malcolm. And I just think maybe that's a mare thing. She really, um, you know, she will not, if I don't tell her the right thing, she's really not just going to be like, okay, I know what you mean. You haven't asked me correctly, but that being said, like Sarah picked this horse for me too. And I totally understand why she picked Cara for me. Malcolm lets me get away with absolutely everything. And she was worried that, you know, I was cheating on too much. So it was going to be hard for the next horse. So we needed I'm to find, lying. yeah, you know, to keep me honest. So we needed to find a version of Malcolm, you know, which Cara is, you know, speed champion of Western Australia, mini pre-champion of Western Australia. 
she's 16 hands even just like Malcolm because I, I really like those sort of small athletic mighty Rainy, small and mighty horses. yeah exactly um she's just the body type everything about her is is Malcolm but she will not put up with my mistakes so you know obviously when I go to a show with Malcolm I'm leaving with three or four ribbons you know um it's not the case with Cara like we always leave with a ribbon or two but her job is at this point while I'm learning I totally understand that it's different to Malcolm and she's really there to make me a better rider for the future and you know I just have to look at them as they are for their roles you know I try not to compare them too much if that makes sense and it seems like uh you know I don't know them outside of shows but whenever I see James and Sarah and like the JPR team it seems like they run a really professional operation like quite a big team um you know but really well organized with all their clients and all their horses it's actually like it's on another level I um, just feel lucky every day. So I was with James Arkins. We touched on that before. And James went to compete um, in America. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. And he sent me to, to JPR. It was James that put me there because he knew that he was going to spend the next few years overseas. Um, and it was just, it is just a really well-oiled machine. Sarah is a beast, is an absolute beast her organizational skills are on another level i'm still trying to figure out what exactly jpr does to be honest but um (laughs) i mean really sarah is the boss like i just laugh so much because it's called jpr but it really should be called you know sarah duggan and co Uh, (laughs) um but for me it's perfect because they take care of the horses for me um you know i pay a little bit extra to have a groom at the show, which, you know, I don't think it's important when you're a a child, but when you've got two kids and a husband and you're stealing away every weekend, um, I can't leave my husband at 6am every single weekend just to tack up my horse. And, you know, so that has been a really huge thing for me and, and my husband, Tim, because Sarah will have, you know, Malcolm and Cara tacked up at the warm up with a groom. I just park my car come for the course walk warm up get on the horse and then I leave so I can literally be home from a show within two hours which is you know that's pretty unbelievable do you ever uh sit still or are you always doing something no 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 I will sleep when I die I'll sleep when I die that's what I always say um I just if, if I just wish that I had more time in the day to do more, like I, I, I'm, I feel so alive. Um, I, I love, I don't know. You've, we've gotten to know each other pretty well over the last two years. Like I'm, I feel alive. Like I love life. I love moving. I love, you know, meeting people like at the show straight away. Like I'm saying hello to you. Like I feel happy every day and, I love going for runs and I love riding the horse. I love dropping my kids to school and I love picking them up. And I don't really have like a moment in the day where I'm like, fuck, I I don't want to do this. Like I don't have those moments. Like I just lap everything up every day. And if I could just have three extra hours, like if there was 27 hour days, that would just make my life. Well, 
I uh, yeah, I think we could all if we could just bottle that. I think we could sell that. <laughs> we could we could be doing this. We are on the phone. I'm going to send a doctor over. We're going to take blood samples right away. <laughs> and also, I know, I know it just clicked. Um, now that now I know why you let Tim come uh, to Stonewall on Sunday. It's because you weren't riding. It's because I wasn't riding. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um. I just want to think of the last time he came to watch me. I mean, basically every time he's come to watch me, I've fallen. Like it's every single time. He's a bad omen. So, um, yeah, no, no good. But I have to say on Sunday at the Thoroughbred Teams event that I was with you at, it was an amazing event. Yeah, they, they do a really good job uh, at Stonewall. And thanks to McCarroll's Maserati for, for hosting us there. Uh, it's always. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I feel like it's my fa- it's my favorite facility in all of New South Wales, Stonewall. It's very well set up, you know, not just for the riding, but the parking, for watching the rounds, you know, with all the embankments and the retaining walls up above the arenas. Yeah, they really have done a good job on a lot on, in a lot of different areas there. I love you it. Know, I wish that we have- could move. I wish we could move Oz Champs from Syac to there. Like we need to speak to. Yeah, give it, give Chrissy a couple of years. I wouldn't put it past her to to do something of the, on that scale. Absolutely, because I mean, like when I look and I feel the feel of my horses, like Malcolm especially, um, in that grass arena, like one and two. Even I think I even prefer the grass in ring two, but like he's twenty centimeters more scope on that grass, like they just ping off the ground like it's it's unbelievable i love it yeah no it certainly helps i love i love the main ring just having that like obviously ring two is still massive but you know i like it even even a nice even a bigger ring um so i can take nice wide corners and be a bit of a grandma uh while i'm out there so so you mentioned that you're gonna going skiing this summer uh, over in America. Any other plans? Yes. Uh, and also any, you know, any what's the fashion plan for uh, you know, yeah, summer 2024? So, yeah. Um I'm going skiing to Aspen um in December. Ski fashion is pretty classic um you know obviously the very controversial part of my life it often involves a fur trim but this season for sport lux with our winter fashion we're really looking a little bit um aztec that's sort of my inspiration for the collection so a little bit of a hint to Native American culture, some tassels, some really cool Aztec patterns on cashmere. So that's what Sport Lux is doing for our skiing winter collection. And then my equestrian next year, I'm going to really be pushing the custom show jackets. So 2024 Sport Lux custom show jackets is what I want to focus on. Um, with my goal basically just to getting some colours other than navy out in the ring. Yeah, no, I think it's a fantastic idea. And what uh, have you lined up or penciled in a competition uh, to start at next year? So I don't arrive back until the 25th of January, 
Sarah's going to bring my horses back into work a week or two, say two weeks before that. And she really wants me to go down to the, the Glenwood Park show. What's it called? GDP or something? Yeah, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, down in Victoria. In Victoria. So I think that's like the first week of February. So that's, I mean, a pretty big stretch goal considering I'm going to be away. But that's the kind of thing that you can do in a squad like JPR. So although I'm going to be skiing in America, um, Malcolm and Cara are going to be ridden, you know, five times a week by Sarah. So the plan is just to get off the plane in and jump on their backs and uh, bring home some ribbons. Fantastic. Well, I've got my fingers crossed. Keep one leg either side and your mind in your middle, in the middle, and you'll be fine. Keep, keep my legs on and my hands down. That's I just need to remember that. Hands down. Yeah, I think you can, <laughs> I think most of us here can take take that advice from uh, from Team JPR. Leg on, hands down. And I, I always say to people when they say it's so hard, like it's so hard. I say. Look, it is, but it's not that hard. Just look up, look up and get to the middle. Like if all else fails, I just look up and get to the middle. Yeah, no, that's 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 a big part of it. Well, thank you so <laughs> much for coming on and uh, can't wait to see you out there. Team Sport Lux uh, in, on the competition circuit 2024. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And, you know, good luck with your riding to uh, to all the show jumpers and equestrians out there. Thank you.